You're listening to Monocle on Sunday, first broadcast on the 2nd of May 2021 on Monocle 24. Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brulé. Coming up on today's programme, as restrictions are lifted in the likes of France and there are queues for the cinema in Italy, Europe moves closer to reopening. My guest today, Chandra Kurt and Emily Isahau, they'll be going through the weekend's top stories. And we'll also see, of course, maybe, Emily, what's caught your eye? Maybe the Finnish papers are somewhere else? <laughs> There's, for instance, something called Pet Mania that we'll find out uh, a little bit more in uh, later in the programme and also a landmark ruling on climate protection in Germany. Very good. Thanks for that, Emily. Also head Monocle's culture at Ricciardo Ramella will be returning from the worlds of the art fair and our man of the Balkans will bring us the latest from Ljubljana. I'm Guy Delaunay and I'll be bringing you a super soaraway update from the Balkans where one country is struggling to get a new airline off the ground but another is toasting one of Europe's busier airports. Plus we head to Amsterdam for a glimpse of what the Dutch are reading this spring. It's the 2nd of May 2021 live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brule. Good morning from Zurich. A very dull, cloudy, uh, very autumnal Zurich uh, this morning. Not very, I'm very happy to say that we've got sunny faces here. Chandra Kurt is here this morning. Guten Morgen, Chandra. Very nice to see you. Good morning, Tyler. Oh, well, this week? Well, I made a lot of fire at home because it was so cold and we drank a lot of heavy wine. So I'm good. I'm good. Very good. Well, of course, uh, listeners, you know, if Chandra's here, it means, of course, it's going to be wine tip day. But we'll be coming to that in a few minutes. Uh, Emily, Isao, I was just re- referencing uh, the news headlines, the story about, uh, of course, uh, <laughs> herring prices could go up. First question, herring important uh, uh, as part, part of your diet as a Finn, we should add or no? Um, less so than in Sweden, I would argue. Um, and then I'm not, I have to admit, the biggest fan of herring. But as long as for midsummer, there's a cottage and a warm sound. I'm good. And tease us one story maybe uh, that we'll be uh, looking at in the papers. Jamie, you talked about pet mania, but I think that's all the listeners are, of course, just gathered uh, around their wireless waiting for that story. So we'll, we'll park that one for a moment. Anything else that caught your eye? Maybe something out of Finland this morning. Any, anything interesting from the Helsing and Sonomat or anywhere? Um, well, to begin with, that we have a government that's still in place. We've had a very interesting week or two weeks, in fact, in Finnish politics. Uh, very tough budgetary negotiations. So happy to report that the government is still in place. Let's start with that. Very good. And as I said, uh, we have a surprise guest. I mean, at the top of the program, I always introduce who's going to be there. Then I saw this gentleman sitting across uh, the, the the studio space. Urs Buller, of course, is a, a regular uh, voice around the microphone, is also here as a surprise. Uh, Guten Morgen. Nice to see you. Good morning. Nice to be here. It's so nice to be a surprise guest. I know. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> New feeling. I know. Tell, uh, tell us a little bit. Uh, give, it, give us the, the mood from the street. Uh, what's happening in the world of gastronomy right now? Well, um, there are uh, different signs. Uh, some signs are very, very nice, very good. We had very sunny days here last week, uh, beginning of last week. So uh, the terraces are open, the gardens are open. They made, made uh, much income. I think the, the income doubled for, the, for some hosts. Uh, but now, as you said, it's rainy, it's cold outside. So it's, it's much fr- frustration here. So because you cannot uh, deal with that, it's very, very, very um, difficult now for the hosts. And um, 
I think uh, now the mood is not very good in this <laughs> situation, and it's very difficult to uh, to uh, manage with uh, with those um, weather conditions. You never know if there will be guests or no. Uh, so um, I think we are back in a little depression now. Well, maybe, but, maybe only for 24 hours because the sun is going to come back tomorrow. Yeah, just and, for and, one day. And yeah. we should qualify for our listeners that uh, it's it's outdoors. It's only outdoors that are open at the moment. Um, Chiara Ramello, our culture editor, is in uh, is in London this morning. Buongiorno. Buongiorno to you, Tyler. Uh, listen, give me the, I mean, as, as, as uh, Emma sort of said a little bit earlier, uh, I passed through London very, very quickly. So fast I didn't even see you. Uh, but um, maybe uh, tell us a, a little bit of, uh, of what you're seeing on the cultural landscape on screen uh, through speakers or otherwise, Chiara. Well, I, I've got to say that despite us not having quite as, as nice a weather as we may have expected, people have taken really enthusiastically to the streets. So it has been a real change to observe in the city over the past few weeks. Um, unfortunately, we're not at a place where we can go to museums or cinemas yet, but everyone's kind of waiting with bated breath. Uh, commercial galleries are open, though, so um, if you fancy a hop down to Mayfair, uh, you can make your appointments and visit uh, commercial galleries at the moment. Um, but I would say people still have quite a fascination with uh, TV shows. Actually, um, TV show Land of Duty is making the front pages of UK newspapers, which really gives you a sense of the fact that, um, you know, TV shows still have the uh, pull to actually make the front news uh, here in the UK. Um, and yes, really looking forward to talking about whether art fairs are actually making a comeback. Uh, we'll be touching on that a little bit later. Uh, just tell me though, so if, if, I, if I was in London today or if Chandra was in London today and we were talking about uh, her yearning for London uh, a little bit earlier, um, can you go to the V&A or V&A and, and, and the likes are, are still closed? So larger museums are still closed. Um, the only art venues that you can visit are commercial galleries uh, where you may want to make an appointment before you show up, but um, you can go for a nice hop around Mayfair, I would say. Uh, and just to, in the spirit of, of really trying to cram as many people into the first 10 minutes of the program as possible, uh, Andrew Tuck is also in London as well, our editor-in-chief. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Tyler. Uh, wh where are you joining us uh, from today? Because uh, it sounds like you're out in the Orkneys or somewhere, uh, given, <laughs> given the scratchiness of the line. Could be the scratchiness of your voice. Uh, no, I don't have a scratchy voice. I, I, I believe we have what's called a technical issue here in London, which is being resolved as we speak. But I'm, I'm calling you from a very, very central London. Uh, and I agree with Chiara. It, it, it may not, it's going to rain tomorrow, apparently, but it, it's cold and sunny. But people yesterday were just going for it. If you went out to anywhere, had our fresco tables, it was packed. And I, I thought it was really good buzz in the city yesterday. So even though you can't go to museums, I did notice because I was walking in Regent's Park, you can go to the zoo. So if Chandra fancies to come and seeing, I don't know, a nice little friendly warthog or two, uh, she's very welcome and we can go there instead. Ch Chandra smiling. Chandra, war warthogs, or, or if, you, if you were going to venture up to Regent's Park Zoo, um, wh wh who, who well, do you want to see? No, the thing is, I will stop before in, in Marylebone Mary High Street to fishers and eat some herring there. It's something I love to do a lot. Herring. And in the zoo, you know, I love to see the elephants. Are there elephants? And are there elephants? No, many. Well, there's an elephant house, which is a beautiful uh, piece of uh, modernist architecture. But they, they sent the elephants uh, out of London many years ago because it was so cramped and it wasn't exactly the best place for an elephant to be penned up. But if you there's penguins, and to be honest, oh, yeah, they can lovely. have my herrings because I don't I don't like herrings. So I would, if I if I get my kind of 
my my quota of herrings, I will be flipping them over the fence with the penguins. <laughs> or to me, or to me. <laughs> or to you. Yeah. Uh, okay, enough of that. Um, Andrew, uh, what's uh, making the... Well, what's, yeah, we, we, could, we could dive into the front page of the Sundays or just what is, what is making news uh, if well, we were to look it, at the headlines right good, now. Here's a good story for you, Tyler. Uh, the Times has got, which is a really interesting story, is it, can Boris afford to be the Prime Minister of Britain? So you need to know that he's got five kids. Uh, we think five. There may be others. He doesn't like to talk about how many there are in total. But he's, he's certainly supporting all of them, former wives. He earns... Uh, 157,000 at the end of a year, and it seems that he just doesn't have the cash to get by on. So even when he entertains people at Checkers, unless they're on official public uh, duties there, so if he invites friends, for example, he has to pay for every single meal. Even for 10 Downing Street, he's liable for picking up some of the, the, the tax uh, liability there for his electricity bills and things. So he doesn't have a lot of cash, and he's got a lot of outgoings. Meanwhile, in Switzerland, uh, you're paying, paying your, your head of state £352,000, whereas over in Singapore, they're paying £1.6 million a year to their head of state. So it's, it, he hasn't got a lot of cash. And they're saying that this is why he's getting into a lot of mess, because he's like, he's doing, you know, he's asking people for favours. Apparently, he did ask a Tory donor whether they could lend him some cash to pay for his nanny. And meanwhile, Ben Elliott, um, a bit of a mover, runs a company called Quintessentially. Apparently, the rumours are he was coughing up for Boris's uh, personal trainers to help keep the PM fit as well. And so, Andrew, what you're saying, if we distill it all, is is that uh, that overdraft is completely maxed out? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, on top of his salary, he's getting £25,000 last year from book royalties. And his, his partner, Carrie Simons, is estimated to earn £70,000 a year. But he's, he's just got no cash. And he's, he's, he's apparently uh, notoriously bad at looking after his finances in the best of times. And at the moment, he just finds himself hamstrung. So he, this is how he's got into this mess of, uh, uh, of allowing people to kind of loan money through complicated routes to pay for the, the doing up of Downing Street. But the interesting thing, we have a real snapshot, May 6th, this Thursday, there are elections in Scotland. There are elections for uh, 145 local councils, 13 mayors, including London, 39 police commissioners. And depending what you see in the papers, on the right they're saying, hey, it doesn't matter, he, he looks a bit sleazy and he's taken some cash. But in the end, the, 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 the vaccine boost is going to get him through and he's going to storm home. There's also a by-election, which it looks like he could do rather well in. And then on the other side, there are people saying, oh, it's a little bit closer than you think. And, and certainly in London, there's no chance of the Tories taking London. Sidi uh, Khan, the mayor of London, has a, a 41% uh, rating in the opinion polls. And, and the Conservative candidate, who everyone keeps forgetting that his name, Sean Bailey, is, is way behind on like 29%. So, so, Andrew, maybe I'll start with you. I don't want to just do a quick um, spin around with all of our uh, guests this morning. Uh, is this a problem of the times? Because we talk about, of course, wanting to have uh, you know a landscape uh, which is you know where we're getting the best talent, uh, of course, for public office. But um, if you can jump to the private sector and, and make five times more, and you see Singapore and Switzerland, as you say, they're they're paying private sector style salaries. Do you think we should be upping, um, yeah, the, the the PM's monthly takings? Well, it's interesting when you look at a chart of who's paid what in Europe. You know, if, if you run tiny Luxembourg, you, you're certainly earning more than the, the British Prime Minister. 
It is a trap because what happens is, you know, there's a lot of people who, who, who don't go into politics because they just can't afford to give up leading CEO roles to do this. Or if they do, it's because they've got a lot of cash in the bank. Now, of course, it's ridiculous to say you can't live on £157,000 a year. It's, 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 it's clearly quite a lot of money. But for somebody like Boris Johnson, who, you know, out in the, in, in, when he was a, a journalist even, was, was probably earning 10 times that much money from his columns and his writing and his speeches to, to scale down this and have so many family responsibilities. I don't feel terribly sorry for him, but it, 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 it does make you think that perhaps it's worth paying a little bit more. It's certainly, if you're running a, an inner city London school academy, you could be earning double, treble that. If you're, you know, if you're working for a PR agency, you could be earning treble that. So is he worth a bit more? Is the role worth a bit more? I think yes. And then if, if the person who is the incumbent doesn't want to take all that money and they want to give it to other, other causes, so be it. But in the, in the end, it is a little bit unpaid, but that's the nature of, of, of British politics. We, we don't like paying for our politicians. Chandra, so as Andrew pointed out, the, the, I mean, when you're the president of the Federal Council in Switzerland, yeah, you're paid roughly half a million francs. Um, do you think that is, that is, that is fair going uh, for running Little Switzerland? Well, it's it's um, it's also a running in a team in this country, and I think this is a, it's a good salary. It's it's a solid salary, and in general, I think people that that have lots of responsibility they should earn enough money. I I don't believe in you know keeping them back. I think you you even teachers, for example, if you are so important for for the new generation, you have to earn a lot of money. I mean, this is gives in the end the motivation. Chiara, of course, you know that the spotlight is going to swing back to you and you have to speak on behalf of Rome uh, on the, on this topic. Uh, but again, if you think of Italian leadership and leadership elsewhere in, in EU, uh, which way are you voting? Um, and let's not sort of think about the past of, of maybe some PMs in Italy. Well, I would say that it's a very, very charged issue in Italy and that um, the entirety of the Moving Five Stars, for example, has basically been founded and found its popularity by essentially campaigning that politicians as a whole were paid too much. So I think right now, for anybody in Italy to argue the opposite would be hugely, hugely unpopular. And in fact, many people have taken pay cuts since they happened because they realised that their essentially their political survival depended on whether they were willing to take pay cuts cuts or just not expense as much, etc. So I would think that right now in Italy, this is a really a conversation that's completely out of bounds for, for political reasons as well. Now, Urs, I don't want you to necessarily weigh in on behalf of uh, the British uh, Prime Minister, but you know, you're talking about the UK, a country which is, it's, you know, it's, it's a, a leading economy in the world. It's a G7 nation, uh, 150,000 pounds. What is that? 200 and something thousand Swiss francs. Fair or uh, should we up his pay, do you think? Oh, I c- oh, it's difficult to <laughs> estimate. So, I think it's fair enough. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. Ursus yeah. Urs is voting for a pay, yeah. a pay rise, uh, everybody. Uh, maybe I don't know, Emily. I don't know if you, from a, a Finnish perspective, um, as well. I'm not sure what the uh, what uh, both the PM and the president are, are making in in Finland. Uh, but you know, is it comparable to if you're running Corner or somewhere else? Probably not. No, I mean, you do make enough money to get by and, and hopefully that makes you less vulnerable to corruption. And, and pay and for all. curtains and exactly. all of these important things. But it has been a discussion in Finland whether parliamentarians should earn more. Uh, say, for instance, high-paid lawyers might not have a financial incentive to join politics because they would need to take a pay cut. Um, but I think, by and large, Finns think that they earn more than enough and um, they're 
perks are quite good as well. Very good. Uh, as Chandra is here this morning, uh, and it's a it's a it's a dull day. It sounds like uh, well, it's certainly a dull day here. Um, as Emma was saying back in London, the weather is not fantastic either. Hopefully, it's sunnier for our listeners uh, elsewhere around the world. Uh, but we're certainly probably in a, in a in a specific kind of Sunday mood uh, when it when it comes to uh, the types of wines we like. Emma Nelson, I'm going to I'm going to start with uh, with you, uh, and uh, you you know how the game works. Uh, you've, you're, I think you're probably one of the winners if there are if there are winners in this game <laughs> but uh, but uh, over to you emma your brief for chandra good morning chandra good morning, um, emma. it's simple i have a cold i feel miserable i hate whiskey can you give me something medicinal to lift both body and spirit uh, of course thanks <laughs> do we already know if we're heading in a red or white direction chandra or I would say red right now, but let me think five minutes. Okay, okay. Well, you've got more than five minutes. We'll be coming back to this in about in about uh, twenty twenty five uh, minutes. Uh, Emily, um, so I already ch- uh, told Chandra earlier today that I'm moving um, in Zurich. So this is this, this is a stress drink. Already. Exactly. So a twofold thing: a stress drink first to kind of get all the things in the various boxes that I need to um, fill, um, but then also perhaps something to celebrate once all the boxes have been moved to pop a bottle open and to celebrate the new flat. So the sort of the, the feet up moment. Exactly. Okay, but that doesn't mean empty boxes though, does it? No, just like as long as the boxes have been moved before you even start unpacking them, you want to put your feet up and then enjoy the new flat. Okay, very good. Uh, Chiara. Actually, I've got um, a recipe that I'm keen to try, which is going to be a Korean prawn noodle soup. Um, and normally okay. I would reach Chandra's for the Chandra's head just about blew off just now. But anyway, <laughs> this is this is new territory. But go on. Well, I, normally I would probably reach for the beer. Um, but if I'm if I'm having a spicy soup, uh, what kind of um, what kind of wine may I try to, you know, experiment with? Perfect. Uh, Urs, over to you. Yes, when we just talked about herrings, I, I love herrings too. So I love the, the Matthias herring. They serve, for example, in the Kronenhall, in the famous Kronenhall in Zurich, with onions. Which has been closed for six months, but yeah. Yeah, anyway. right. <laughs> they, they will serve again, hopefully, yes. yes. So uh, what could you recommend uh, to this when I'm not so much into uh, champagne? So what, what else could I drink you, to that? Are you in vodka? In vodka? Yeah. More in gin, but vodka is okay too. Yeah. Okay. okay. Are we re- seems this is the, we're, listeners. We're moving into m- new territory because it sounds like Chandra's even moving off of wine. But anyway, um, Andrew Tuck back in back in London. Uh, you're you're gonna you're wrapping up the the, the briefing session for Chandra. Okay, Chandra. Let's help Boris. Tell us a, a good a good red that's affordable but impressive. It's, it's got an air of confidence when you serve it, and it doesn't matter where it comes from as long as it's not France. Okay, okay. Uh, okay. And Andrew, it doesn't have to come from one of those lower-priced German grocery stores either? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Let's just give Boris something to impress those guests at Checkers without having to break the bank. Perfect. <laughs> uh, excellent. Uh, Andrew, but before we go, aside from you know, the PM story, it was, you know, of course, it was bubbling up last week, uh, um, and, and there it is. It's still with us. Um, anything else that's caught your eye, um, maybe not just in today's papers, but across the weekend, or just a little Andrew Tuck observation, perhaps? Um, well, we won't go into this, but the other course, the question to do with the vote on, on Thursday is that Scotland votes, and there are lots of people thinking that we are beginning to see the proper fraying of the union and that you know scotland is is likely to put down the kind of marker this week that will will lead to independence 
and and for me, Tony, you know, we, we we got to see each other the other day, and you you got a snapshot of London. I just think it's it's interesting. You you and me have talked about it a lot. It's it, there is confidence returning. People are out. It's sunny. I think it's going to be a pretty amazing summer. You talked about this flick being switched, uh, switch rather being flicked when we when there were the, suddenly the economies will all be charging ahead. But I just. I, I'm still intrigued to see how behavioural changes will, will, will set in. Uh, lots of people still a little bit reluctant to properly uh, engage with the world of work, to get back out there. And I think that's, that's the thing that I'm, I'm still cautious about. So you see lots of young people outside restaurants, eating, drinking, making merry. But there's, there's oddly, it's not as mixed a crowd as you would imagine. There's still some people holding up. And this week, a woman came to interview me at, uh, at Midori House. She lives just south of the river. She said, oh, this is the first time I've been into central London in one year. So that's the kind of hesitancy that we, we, we have ahead. So really intriguing moment. Uh, but I'm, I'm very hopeful. But it is a very intriguing moment. And I want to bring Urs in as well. But I'm going to ask you first, uh, but uh, Urs, I'll come to you in a second. Do you think that there should be a, a body of science or there needs to be a body of work done, on Andrew, on what happens when streets come alive? I mean, to almost put some kind of metric against what happens when people go to restaurants? What happens when people are out, or, are out on the streets again? Just if you see other people, spending, you know, inevitably seems to go up. But I'm wondering if there's going to be some body of work that comes out of this. Well, I, the amazing thing is, you know, that it, what it does to you as well, you know, I, yesterday I had to just go and uh, do a couple of errands. There's a, a place near us called Exmouth Market where every second place is a, a restaurant with outdoor seating. And they've taken it's a It's a road you can't drive down. So it was it was so full. But what was interesting, it, it, it just made you joyous. You know, even though you weren't stopping to drink and eat, you were just r- running around. It was it was so uplifting to hear this cacophony of sound here. You know, people so happy to be out and about. And there was just an amazing buzz. And, and we know that it's only there's two weeks on Monday that all restaurants will open and, and bars will open indoors. Uh, and then I think that it will be, the city will feel pretty normal. In fact, I was speaking to friends in New York this weekend as well, and they were saying there's this similar kind of vibe, that a return to normality. But I think yeah, there's, there's, it, it just changes your mood. And it's, it's, it's strange how a city can have a, a, an atmosphere or a vibe and so many different people are leading different lives. But there is definitely something very palpable here that, you know, that something has happened and that there is a confidence coming back that this isn't going to be all locked down again in a few weeks' time. So I think that's what it does. It, that, that life on the street, it, it makes you happy. There's something about it that's very special. Urs, it was, it was kind of amazing to watch what happened also um, here in Switzerland last week as well. As you said, it was, it was sunny skies. It was amazing. But also just you know, whether you went down Dufourstrasse into the center of the city, if you went out to Kreisfeer, it was, it, was, it was kind of electric last week. Absolutely. You can say that I'm absolutely with you in, in this point. And, and the important thing is that the evening, the nights do have to become warmer. So then we, we can see the life going on outside. But in Zurich, even uh, if there were, when the restaurants and bars were closed, uh, people were partying on the street, sometimes especially young people uh, with their own be- uh, cans of beer and so on, with their bottles of gin. So the, the party went on on the street. But of course, it's not the, re- the real party when, when the restaurants are closed. Yeah. And as Andrew said, we're two, two weeks out from uh, yeah, I mean, restaurants and bars reopening on, on the inside. Are, are you hopeful? There's so much pressure from the gastronomy industry is here to say, look, we need to now go to the next level. Do you think that uh, 
that we'll see something in May or are we going to have to wait till till June? Because also, you know, when you have the neighbors like France and and and, and Italy and elsewhere still in an outdoor mode, uh, does Switzerland feel much pressure or, or not really? Um, I think it will uh, last to June. I think in the beginning of June, we can talk about opening the restaurants inside. Uh, but I don't think it will be in May, no, no. Okay, well, we need, we, need, we need some happy news. And if you want happy news, we have to turn to Finland because it, as the, the Finns, as we know as well, are, are, yeah, they're ranked as the world's happiest people again. <laughs> but we're not going to talk about that, are we, Emily? We're going to, to talk about uh, something else that you spotted uh, in the papers. Yes, if we would, something a bit more lighthearted. So the Finns take 1st of May rather seriously. We call it Vappu. Um, so it's the closest we get to a carnival in Finland. So the kind of introverted Finns come out into the open um, have some bubbly and, and might dress up if they're students. Um, so dress this, up? But what are we talking about? Um, so you have you these kind of overalls as if you were entering a nuclear uh, power plant. So um, very of the times, it, kind of very sort of a hazmat suit. Exactly, exactly. Right. And you kind of draw things on them and attach different stickers and whatnot. It's kind of very student culture like um, okay. so that's the picture I'm painting here and and a big part of this celebration is that one of the main statues in Helsinki Havi Samanda um, it's an honor for different faculties and disciplines of different universities to be the one to be allowed to put a hat a graduation hat on top of this statue every year and thousands of let's say semi um drunken students gather around to observe this uh, ceremony every year but of course because of corona they could not do this in person this year um, so they did it 20 days in advance and it was the Swedish speaking business school um, Hanken that got the honor this year um, so if anyone is interested in seeing this you can go on the Finnish public broadcasting company's website Ule and you can see it so they pre-recorded it um, and I think there's some visual effects to mimic the crowd um, being wild in the background have you tuned in yet or is that also when you put your feet up after you You've uh, unloaded the box. Exactly. With Chandra's recommendation, I'll be doing this later. Very, very good. Uh, lots uh, to get across uh, over the next uh, 30 minutes uh, or so. We're going to be heading to Amsterdam to one of our favorite bookstores, Athenaeum. We're also going to be uh, talking to Guy Delaunay, our correspondent uh, in Ljubljana. I think he's going to be talking a little bit about the aviation industry. Somehow, always when we talk to, to Guy, there's always uh, also a story about wine. So Chandra, you can maybe jump in there. And Any just early comments? Slovenian wine? Yes, no? Uh, good or bad? Good. You like it? Good. Of course. Thumbs- very interesting. Very good movement. Okay. Thumbs up for that. So we'll yeah. be talking about uh, that uh, as well. And of course, we're going to have Chandra's wine roundup uh, a little bit later in the program. But it's bottom of the hour. Back to London. Emma's there with the news. Thank you, Tyler. North Korea has accused the United States of maintaining a hostile policy just as Washington prepares to unveil its strategy for dealing with Pyongyang and its nuclear program. The Taliban in Afghanistan has warned it is no longer bound by a commitment not to attack international troops in the country. Migrant worker groups have accused Hong Kong officials of discrimination after they ordered all foreign domestic workers to have coronavirus tests. And an Austrian white asparagus grower has come up against the power of the internet by having his pictures of his Weisser Spargel banned by Google. Peter Komher, who's founder of the Ergreisler near Vienna, received an error message saying that adult content should not be used for advertising on his website. As a result, he won't be able to show off his Spargel site this year in public. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler in Zurich.
And I knew that story. I didn't even see the news script this morning, but I already knew where that story was was heading. Are you reading the Kronenzeitung or is this in Der Standard? Where did you find this story? I think this is from a perfectly responsible, I think it might even be the Tiger's Anzeiger or the NZZ. You know I always go for reliable sources. No, absolutely. Or is this nodding? Nod maybe about what you might mistake a Weiser Spargel for or whether he's nodding because it might have come from his newspaper. Can you confirm this? Did you see this in the paper? Pages of your paper, or uh, it was not our paper, I guess. It was the Tagesanzeiger, the Sonntagszeitung of the Tagesanzeiger. Uh, okay, yeah. there, there's your confirmation, Emma. If, if that works for you, <laughs> thank you. Very good. Uh, we are heading uh, over to Amsterdam uh, now, uh, and I'm very happy to say that we're going to um, one of our, really our favourite bookstores, uh, Athenaeum, not just because they sell a lot of our magazines and books, but also it's just a wonderful, wonderful outlet. Uh, Rene Vanderkamp is there. Good morning, Rene. Hello, hello. Good morning, Tyler. Hello. How are you? Well, I'm very well, thanks. How, how are you? Is the, is the sun oh. shining? Are there, are there lineups in front of the bookstore this morning? Uh, well, what's what's happening? Yeah, well, as you you were speaking about the weather, we had a, it's sunny and cloudy. We had a heavy shower, but now the sun is shining, and we have some beautiful clouds. So it's relatively okay for a Sunday, I think. Nice for a walk. I was just looking at uh, the the Dutch press. I saw that you're you're in for an extension of what has you know been a very long drawn out lockdown. But of course, we're talking about uh, the state of retail, and we're talking about a great bookshop, which is yours. Uh, what is uh, what, what's happening with retail uh, in in the Netherlands uh, at at the moment? Well, we had a, quite a um, an interesting week because from Wednesday on, um, shops are re- have reopened without appointments. So people can just go in. And of course, there's a maximum amount of people per square meter. So it's restricted, but people can just come in without appointment. And also the um, cafes and restaurants, they can have a terrace outdoors between 12 and 6. So just in the afternoon. So the interesting thing was that like on Wednesdays, Wednesday, the weather was glorious here. It was, it was chilly, but it was glorious and sunny. So our shop was open for the first day. So we make a little celebration of that. And also, all the terraces on the square were were filled with people. It was a very joyous day, actually. And the next day, it was terrible weather. It was was horrible rain and wind, so it was a bit more quiet. But Wednesday, it was really like everyone was sort of breathing again. Like, as your colleague just said, that it sort of makes you joyous when you see people just, you know, doing the things they like. And um, people came into the store. They were over the moon to be just walking around and leafing through magazines and books. It was really interesting. So we are quite happy. So let's uh, go through the, the, the stacks uh, and uh, and the front of the shop. If you guide us through, uh, what, I was going to say, what, what are Dutch and international readers looking at? But there's not that many international, you don't have that many visitors at the moment uh, to the Netherlands. Uh, people, no. of course, can, can dip in and out. Um, but what, what, what are your core readers buying? Maybe let's start with books. What books are um, are flying off the shelves right now, Renny? Uh, well, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, new Dutch novels just they have been post- they have been postponed previously, so they now come out. Um, and one of the best sellers is a book by by a very talented. He's an actor, a writer, an essayist, and he wrote a book about his ideas about how we have to deal with this time. The book is called The Fundaments, and that's really flying off the shelves. And also, a really interesting thing is that um, signed books, signed copies signed by authors that's i don't know there's a revival of that previously it was sort of people were not interested okay take sign signing session hmm. but now we do signing sessions you know when we close and people sign their books 
and we or we receive signed copies from publishers in the UK, and then we put them in the store with a little sticker on signed copy, and people really like it. It's really interesting that there's a revival of of that kind of of uh, sort of feature. So that's really nice. Uh, and still, you know, Bernardo Evaristo is still selling very well. There's a couple of books. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a biography on Erasmus, the philosopher, which is going really well. Um, you know, a lot of Dutch novels that, you know, the names might not mean anything to the worldwide audience. But um, so, yeah, books are people are really happy about, you know, being able to, to go into the store and and find what they like rather than just see it online and mm. and then order it and pick it up. Um, now, on, 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 I was going to say, now, on the magazine front, um, and I'm just looking uh, at, at a few notes uh, that you sent across, so maybe no surprise that Holiday Magazine uh, yeah. is doing well. People want to, of course, just, just escape their, uh, I believe their current issue is a, has an Ethiopia, Ethiopia. Themed, yeah. Yeah, theme yeah. to yeah. it. Um, can yeah. you say, is there a specific trend you've seen in, in what's been selling when it comes to periodicals? Well, it is it is a bit it is a bit awkward now because we during lockdown there was no distribution of regular magazines, so we only had our own import. Um, so now from now on the distributor is sort of you know restocking us with other titles. So holiday we we just bought ourselves. So that's and also as I uh, so holidays because we have a sort of sort of quite stable audience uh, like clientele who would like to buy the holiday. And because it's such a beautiful magazine, big size, wonderful photography. Um, and then also like, as I, I think like Cabana, which is a very interesting interior magazine from Italy. And it's the opposite of simplicity. It's very abundant. The pages, you know, the layout of the pages is very abundant and the interiors they show, it, it seems crazy. So that's a really, and they, the cover is always a fabric cover. So each time they have like three or four different types of real fabric as the cover of the magazine. And people sometimes buy all three because they just like it so much. It's really interesting. But the regulars, like for instance, like we, we, we are dearly missing the new issue of Confact and the new issue of Monocle because it's just not, it hasn't arrived yet in the Netherlands. So we are really waiting for that. Okay, well, that, that, that's, I mean, this is like customer service at the highest level. Um, so that will be dealt with uh, in the next 23 minutes before before I'm off air, and we'll make sure that that is, that is sorted. Yeah. But let's, we're going to come back to that in a moment anyway, uh, because I've got, a, I've got a little treat for you. But uh, maybe just tell me about also a new mag, which is out, which uh, you've highlighted, uh, Perfect Magazine. Yeah, yeah. It's in, well, it's, you know, you can't even lift it. It's, it's square. It's, it's, it's a hardcover. It's, it's super big and it's so beautiful. It's called Perfect Magazine, um, and it's the first print issue they do because it's it's a, it's an online community of creatives and brands and corporations. But now for the first time they made a, a print issue and it, they call it Issue Zero, and it's just it's just amazing. It's so beautiful. The pages, the, you know, the, the quality of the photography, and that is. You know, that's, it adds to the idea and to the, to the knowledge that print is so powerful. I mean, this is something, you can't see that when you, when you see images on your computer screen. This is something you want to hold and you want to leave through. And yeah, I think it's for the, for the happy few who really like that type of magazine. But it's, I mean, really, we are really quite happy with it. It's beautiful, really nice. Very good. Um, so did you hear, hear, 
here, here's the little treat because we were doing a bit of forward planning because we can do that. As you know, our book of homes is coming out. Yeah, uh, hopefully, 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 you have the Italy book. Hopefully, that has arrived. In yeah, the we have that. Yeah, yeah, and it okay, sells good. well. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 people okay, like good. it. Yeah. Okay, so here's the deal. So you're going to tell us, and listen, we are ready to get on that KLM flight whenever you want, um, but we want to uh, come and do that book signing now. Uh, oh, Holmes yeah, book, Holmes, Holmes book is, is, is out as well as you know in the next. Um, probably three weeks or so. Yeah, uh, so we, yeah, we, have know, to, we, yeah. we have to find it. So do you think we'll be in a place where we can have a little table, have a glass of wine and do some signings? Will we be in the right type of place, all things going well, Renee? Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, yeah, the weather is improving. Our shop is, you know, we're going to do some alterations in the shop. So that will be ready by then. Yeah, so we will have, we will be very happy to receive you and to, uh, to do a lovely event, which we dearly missed with the Gentle Book. Yes, yes. Well, listen, we, yeah, we yeah, could, sure. I mean, I'll make sure that Andrew's over as well. Uh, Nolan, uh, the editor behind the Holmes book, uh, Chiara, who's also on the line as well, who yeah, oversaw yeah, a large deployed. part. So yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, you'll have a little deployment. And hopefully well before that, hopefully before Wednesday, I will make sure that there is a an airlift uh, of, of the new of the new issue of both Confect <laughs> and, uh, and, and Monocle as well. Yeah. Uh, someone's going to have an interesting Sunday afternoon, let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. René Vanderkamp uh, from Athenaeum. I'm great to talk to you. We're going away for a very short break. Uh, we're going to be back right after this. The Entrepreneurs is Monocle 24's 30-minute weekly conversation with inspiring business leaders from around the world, uncovering the secrets of resiliency and growing a company and the many definitions of success. Now we're craving curation in a very different way and have understood how small businesses have given complete life to our streets and communities. And I think we'll value them in a completely different way, which I'm excited about. I think in your standard entrepreneurial journey, there's a lot of times when you might want to throw in the towel. But if impact is really at the heart of what you do, you don't have that option. You have to stick to your guns. Join me, Daniel Bates, for a new episode of The Entrepreneurs every Wednesday at 2000 London time, right here on Monocle 24. Have you heard the late edition on Monocle 24? Now more than ever, the time is right for a global conversation that cuts through the white noise and brings clarity, genuine insight and just the right tone to news and analysis. These were ways of getting on the same level as other people, stripping away some of the artifice of your office. So whether it's beer and chips or getting butt naked, you do need some of these moments that shake up the narrative. If you're tired of strident anchors and the wearying pace of the news ticker, then join Mon editors every weekday for the late edition a lively friendly and forward-looking kick around of the day's main stories i think if it gets people to engage with their beetroots in a different way nothing remiss then it's probably a good thing isn't it hosted each evening by our editors from zurich london toronto and new york city the late edition weekdays at 1600 eastern time on monocle 24.
you are back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule, an array of guests. It's uh, just gone uh, 17.42 in Tokyo. It's 10.42 here in Zurich. That means it's 9.42 back in London. Let's stay here in Zurich. Um, Emily Isao is here. Uh, Emily, um, you've got the FT open, um, but maybe there's somewhere else you want to go in terms of stories. <laughs> uh, we've, you know, we, everyone is sort of now, I'm sure, on YouTube. They're not even listening. They're watching Vapu uh, yeah. back in Helsinki. <laughs> but, uh, but what else do you have for us? Yeah, no, I do want to talk about this climate um, protection uh, bill or ruling from Germany. But let me just quickly explain the pet mania that since oh, I yes, mentioned in the beginning. Okay, yes. um, so I was going through um, FT and, and I mean, there's a beautiful picture of five just adorable dogs. So I had to read the article. Um, so Are you a dog owner yet? Any, uh, no, no I dog? am. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, and an absolute dog lover. Okay. So um, I could not help myself but read this article. But um, so the gist of it is that there is something um, that investors refer to as pet mania. Um, so the pet sector in terms of pet products and, and and services is doing extremely well. Um, so online fitness, video conferencing, television, streaming are sectors. Not for we, pets, though. Not for pets. That these are sectors where we think have done exceptionally well um, during the lockdown and, and the pandemic. And, and they pasta, have. Pa- the and pasta business. Exactly. As well. <laughs> and apparently the pet sector has outperformed these sectors um, because people have wanted to buy uh, pets as, um, to keep them company during lockdown. In the UK, over three million people have bought pets um, during the lockdown, uh, which has led to um, these businesses doing extremely well. So just to give you a sense of some of these also very goofy titles of companies. So a company called Chewy um, in the US went up by 90% its uh, shares last year um, and the pet product market will grow to 110 billion um, US dollars um, this year. Um, so they're doing extremely, extremely well um, and a subsector within this sector that's doing well is uh, products that humanize um, pets. Um, to give you two examples, there's something called canine facials. I'm not sure what that means, and also blow dryers for dogs. Um, and so apparently, this subsector within mm. this. I was going to say I think there's there's a big uh, market for blow dryers uh, for dogs in Japan, but they're not very they're not very attractive. Look, they look like a leaf blower that's been sort of, that's been put on <laughs> some kind of tripod, and then they're just yeah. Yeah, you you sort of, and then it looks like it's a wind tunnel experiment for a poodle or something. It's it's not the most, but the dogs seem to the dogs seem to enjoy it. Uh, Chandra, I've never I haven't seen a lot of pets around your house. I mean, do animals normally end up on plates um, when when they're at your house or? Uh, well, it's in the center of the city, so maybe it's not the best place. But uh, no, I think nobody has. There's one dog. We have a new neighbor with a dog. No, the, the, the dog is for, the neighbor is there, but the dog is new. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, as I was mentioning as well, grow theories, which was, uh, and I want to bring my, my colleague Chiara in on this as well, which is which is pasta. Um, mm. And I was talking to a colleague the other day who who is with a group. They they own one of they own shares of one of the biggest pasta companies in the world. You can probably guess that guess the name of that company. Um, but it was interesting listening. When, you know, if you think back to a year ago when people were panicking about your panic buying for pasta and what kinds of pasta they they were they were purchasing and I'm going to throw this to Chiara first Chiara do you know uh, do you, can, can you guess uh, when people had to fill up their grocery bags worried about you know were the grocery store uh, shelves going to be empty what what were they buying do you think so I'm trying to guess the most popular ever pasta shape this is quite the task um I'm going to go for a penne maybe I think that's quite uh um, you know, glo- has global appeal? No, 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 absolutely wrong. And, and, I'll, and well, let's just do a quick survey. Okay. Uh, I was going to say penne, but spaghetti. Oh, okay, you're saying spaghetti? Or is what yeah, you surely spaghetti. Spaghetti, I Chandra? Spaghetti. Okay, Chiara, I mean, they're going to remove your passport. You're gonna, <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> they're not going to let you back into the country. Truly embarrassing. So you, have to, so you have to think it through because they said, you know, if you were going on a panic buy, you know, spaghetti, it's much easier to fill up a big bag. You, know, <sighs> that's a, you get a lot of spaghetti. Sense. But those rigatonis, the pennes, they come in a square box or it's going to be a 
bigger bag, there's more volume. So anyway, sorry, Kiara. But I don't, think, I don't think the problem was my Italianness there. It was my, you know, lack of understanding of physics. It, I don't have a Could geometric well. mind. Okay, that's, that, that's fine. <laughs> now let's stay somewhat in the Italian world. We'll head a little bit east, uh, well, nor- northeast uh, uh, to the direction of uh, Ljubljana. I'm very happy to say that our guy Delani, our Balkans correspondent, is there for us this morning. Good morning, guy. Good morning, Tana. Morning. Uh, it just uh, maybe just a question: If you picked up on our pasta discussion, in, in, obviously given the relation and, and of course the shared border with Italy, are, are there any um, indigenous uh, or let's say reinterpretations of, of pasta uh, with with uh, in the the Slovenian frontiers? I'm trying to think about that. I mean, the thing that we do have here, which is which is very popular, is strukli, um, which is um, can be sweet, can be savoury, but I think that's more sort of influenced by what goes on in Austria than what goes on in Italy. Um, though, of course, um, in Slovenia, in certain parts of it, at least the bits which border Italy, Italian is an official language of the country. So there's obviously that influence there. Okay, so that you've got a little assignment on your hands because I, I, I want to know if you can maybe find a small artisanal pasta maker somewhere on the border. But that's for another day. Um, let's uh, maybe head direction Montenegro. It seems like, listen, I'm, I'm looking at my briefing notes. It's like it's all Montenegro all the time this morning. We have three <laughs> Montenegro stories this morning. Maybe we can just have one and a half. They're uh, all connected, you... Tyler. I know. Okay, well, let, okay, go for it. Well, in terms of Montenegro, you may be aware that Montenegro relies heavily on tourism for its GDP, like a quarter of its GDP comes from tourism. So last year with the pandemic, um, that wasn't obviously great for them. They lost 80 percent of their tourists. Even worse, their national airline, Montenegro Airlines, went bust at the end of the year. And that's also a problem because more than half of the people arriving by air into Montenegro come via Montenegro Airlines, or at least they used to do. Um, The new government, in effect, forced Montenegro Airlines into bankruptcy. They've set up a new airline, which is going to be called, in a a burst of originality, Air Montenegro. Uh, But whoops, um, it seems that the two planes that they were hoping uh, to use for those purposes have been grounded uh, by the uh, Civil Aviation Authority in Montenegro uh, because they haven't had their uh, maintenance uh, conducted in the proper manner. Okay, well, yeah, no, no one likes a maintenance irregularity uh, when, when they're flying. Thankfully, I haven't booked. Um, now, <laughs> do we want to stay? Uh, well, we're staying on the ground because it's, it's a bit of an airport's uh, story. And I guess, obviously, if you've, only got two, if you've got two planes grounded, probably not great for, um, of course, uh, the airport's boss. And uh, that's right. She's resigned. The the CEO of uh, Airports Montenegro, uh, Anna Loncharovic, has lasted 17 days in the job before resigning. And I think this illustrates one of the other issues that, that you've got when you're talking about a country like Montenegro and tourism and air travel is that it isn't simply a matter of logistics. It's also a matter of politics. And she hasn't given the reason why she's resigned, but a lot of people who were plugged into the, uh, the, the aviation scene in the region are saying, oh, she's encountered the realities of, of, of running an airport in a place like, like Montenegro. And just to give you an illustration uh, of what I mean, if, if we're looking at the demise of the former Montenegro Airlines. One of the reasons for its demise was it was giving out an awful lot of free tickets to people who were connected with the former governing party of Montenegro, the DPS. And, and with the current government having shut down Montenegro Airlines, obviously the inference is there's a little bit of politics getting involved as well uh, with the airports as well as with the airline.
Oh, you surprised me, Guy. Uh, now, you, well, listen, as you as you heard at the top of the program, uh, we're having a bit of a game show, of course, with Chandra talking about wines. But you've you've got a question for us and our listeners, I believe. You you you've got a little bit of a quiz moment for us. I do indeed, and I didn't put the answer down because this one would have. That's a proper game me. show. I mean, I, I mean, even the host. Well, yeah. Well, you're the host of the game <laughs> show right now. I'm a contestant, but yeah. So fire away with the question. So. Not only which is the busiest airport in the region at the moment, Tyler, but which airport in my patch, which includes all of ex-Yugoslavia plus Al- Albania, um, was actually busier than London Gatwick in the first quarter of 2021? I, I'm looking at Emily, but don't, get away from your pa- tablet there. <laughs> don't look it up. What do you, what do you think? Uh, Zagreb. No reason for that answer. Okay. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, uh, I'm saying, I'm going to say Belgrade. Any, any other guesses around the table? Chiara, any thoughts on that? I can't see you because you could be looking it up right now. <laughs> so anyway, Chandra, thoughts? I wouldn't know. Okay. Urs, do you want to venture in on this Belgrade one? Belgrade would have been my guess. Okay, too, we've, got, yeah. we've got two for Belgrade. Chiara, quickly. I was going to Stop vo- looking it up. I was going to vote Zagreb. I think okay, uh, that's, right. that, I'm going to add to that pile. Okay. G- guy, tell us. Well, Croatia actually has a functioning airline, but the busiest airport in the region was Pristina um, in Kosovo, which does does not have a, a national airline at all, um, has quite a few international airlines going in and out, some low-cost carriers as well. And uh, it was the busiest airline in the region and busier than indeed than London Gatwick in the first quarter of the year. And that's the first time that it's ever uh, achieved that particular milestone. Um, 330,000 passengers during the January to March period. Um, Belgrade was second place, uh, you'll be pleased to hear. Okay, and just, just quickly uh, before we go, um, a- any reason for this traffic surge at, at, at Pristina? It's diaspora. And uh, that's the thing with diaspora on the move. They want to work as things are opening up again. Uh, the diaspora get on the move. And that's why uh, you're having people flying in and out of Pristina. Guy Delaney in Ljubljana, always good uh, to talk to you. I'm sure we'll chat uh, across uh, the week as well, if not me, to one of uh, our other uh, colleagues. Uh, you are listening to Monocle on Sunday. It's almost time to go. We've got so many guests on the program today. Chandra, I can see there's she's just been busy. There's yellow sheets of paper flying around. There's a lot of notes, uh, and we have to do, of course, a, a quick a quick spin around. We'll we'll start we'll start here with a bit of a recap, Emily. Uh, so just. Uh, Yes, remind us of uh, of the challenging day you have ahead and then the type of beverages you require. Exactly. So uh, a lot of packing of boxes for my move ahead as uh, so something to get inspired and creative with the move, but then also on, on, on the other side, so to celebrate uh, the finishing of the move. So I think because you're packing, so you, you will not have all the tools. So you need a bottle that you can open without a tool. Mm. So screw cap, I would suggest a screw cap wine. And because you are maybe tired, you need a vin de soif, something that uh, really refreshes you. Take a Schossler from, from the, the Switzerland, from the Vaux region, like Maison Blanche. You, you find them in, in the major supermarket. Uh, put them in the fridge before you, you know, unpack, put some bottles in the fridge. When you're finished, you screw cap them and you, you enjoy them. Sounds perfect. I'm just worried that my friends are listening in as they're coming to help me move. They're expecting to get this. <laughs> Listen, I mean, there, there are there are stores open today, so it shouldn't be a problem. Kiara, back in London, you you have a there's a bit of a a Korean concoction. Uh, you were thinking beer, but you you need otherwise, correct? Exactly. Yes, I just want to challenge myself and find something that works with uh, a bit of a spicy broth.
So with spicy, it's always complicated. Usually you, you don't, you shouldn't drink wine with it because it makes it more spicy. But there's one one treat, which is um, from Alsace. You take the Gewürztraminer, which is a very aromatic wine. It's an oily, rich, honey, muscatty wine. And uh, a famous one is from Zintombrecht. You find it all over. They have different, different levels. Um, both as biodynamic, also Valentin Süßlin. Uh, go, go for a good um, Gewürztraminer, chill it nicely, drink it in a big glass and it will fit perfectly. I'm really looking forward to that. And Chiara, we, we didn't get around to even talking about, uh, of course, uh, g- galleries and exhibitions reopening. That can be a topic for later in the week because you've got to get on with your Gewürztraminer and also your your, uh, your Korean your Korean dish. Uh, Urs Müller, uh, um, our, our surprise uh, guest uh, of the day, uh, what, what were you looking for? Remind us uh, that you were, you were somehow attracted by this discussion of herrings earlier on. Exactly, yes. What I, do I drink with uh, Matthias herring, this kind of sweet and sour herring, mm-hmm. uh, when I don't like so much champagne? So it's it's a rich dish, you know, it's a rich dish and then so you need a wine that is strong enough. I used to be traditionally to drink from the Loire this Muscadet. It, it this was the past because new today you have all these new natural wines and they have a lot of tannins, they have a lot of structure. And I will go for a natural wine. Um it you, there's there's a vast um um possibilities, for example, from um the Ofaya farm, it's a Swiss one, Ilona Teta, it's a new wine wine producing woman and she has this this uh, Johannesberg called Orange de Grain. And you will see it fits perfectly. Thank you very much, Emma. Back in London, I know also you want to meet you want to meet someone called Ilona Teta. Just just that that alone is going to, to, to get, <laughs> it's going to get you to, to this part of the continent. Uh, but and you can tell us more about Ilona Teta another day, Chandra. Uh, remind us, uh, you, you're you're a bit fluid, but no, none of our listeners would know that you would have a cold today. A little bit of a cold, uh, a little bit of a fever, feeling a little bit under the weather, and the weather isn't so great. So something medicinal for mind, body, and soul, please, Chandra. So you see, when you feel miserable, what do you think? You, what what makes you bet, feel better? You have to think sweet. So I will I will go for a sweet wine. You know, don't go for whiskey. Go for a sweet wine. Um, and there we have the most famous region, or the easiest to find is, is from Sautern. Uh, and and um, for example, from Lafori Perigore, they have this wonderful Sautern wine. They're rich and, and honey and sweety, and they will make you feel so comforting good. And they even have another wine. If it's too rich for you, they have like, they call it Swissy. It's because the owner is a Swiss guy. It's Silvio Dens that you put even a little bit ice on it, and it's a little bit lighter. But um, it will make make you feel good. Chandra, your nursing talents are no no <laughs> limits. Thank you so much. What I do Thank need you. to ask is how I can justify to my husband that I'm drinking a bottle of Sauterne for medicinal yeah. purposes. So this uh, maybe he, he tastes with you and he will understand. Thank you. And and are you happy with that choice? Are you, are you happy with it with the Sauterne, Emma? I would, I believe me, anything that Chandra sends my way, I will try. <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a loyal follower of Chandra's, Chandra's wisdom. So yes, I will try it. I'm not sure if it'll go down with a lemsip, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. Our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, is back in London. You've been, Andrew, you've been concerned about, about the leadership uh, and, and that, that maxed, maxed out overdraft. Uh, so you want, you want the PM to have something at, at, down at uh, the, well, the, 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 the official country residence down at Chequers, correct? Correct. This is London calling International Wine Rescue. Can Kurt come in, please? Can Kurt come in? We need your wine recommendations. Kurt is in, Kurt is in with the right solution. <laughs> so we don't, you said no French, so you take out a lot of wines. And um, you know, We've to given have conf- enough money to Macron already, thank you very much. Good. To have confidence <laughs> is also when nobody understands what you drink and everything looks the same. So there is um, 
you go to Australia, you know, you have this famous Syrah grape, which gives a rich and, 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 and heavy wine, so already a good red wine. And this, this company, Penfolds, which is one of the biggest, they, they managed to make a bottle and a label. They all look the same. They all have the same writing. I mean, the same, more or less the same. They have numbers, been two, eight, whatever. And some cost like £10 and some cost £200. So really, you can take it. Not so expensive one and nobody will know which, which level it is and it tastes good. Thank Andrew, you very much. We want, Andrew, we want think, to be, <laughs> is, is that going to do the trick, Andrew? Well, I think Boris is going to be very happy because he, he wants his trade deal with the Aussies and uh, he, he needs to make some friends with the old Commonwealth nations. So uh, Chandra International Wine Rescue has certainly saved the day, I think. Wonderful. And John, just very quickly, in 10 seconds or less, we've also got good news. We're, we're confirmed on this uh, monocle rosé, correct? We have a, a wonderful, exciting wine project. We do a rosé, a Swiss rosé, Oi de Perdri. So right for the summer, it will be a, a relaxing, refreshing, feeling good, also medicinal, helping if you're in a bad mood, uplifting rosé wine. Very good listeners. It is it is happening. The labels are being designed as we speak. That's all we have time for for today's programme. Chandra Court, Emily So, Chiara Ramella, Andrew Tuck, Urs Buller, and Emma Nelson. Thanks very much for joining us today. Also, thanks to Randy Vanderkamp in Amsterdam and Guy Delaney, producers Emma Nelson, Marcus Hippie, and Nora Hall and Desiree Bentley looking after us in London and Zurich. I'm Tyler Brule. Have a very good Sunday. Goodbye.